influence is, is a vehicle. And the reason why it's becoming more valuable these days is because trust is a big issue right now in our communities and in our business world. So people have a lack of trust. So if you have some influence with a certain sector that trusts you, it makes it valuable. The need is there. It will continue to get bigger and bigger. But the problem that people fall into is they, they do it only for ego and they don't do it as a vehicle. We stand today. The Business Method. The business with method. a shout The Business Method. The Business Method Podcast. The Business Method Podcast featuring Chris Reynolds. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics for location independence. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm your host, Chris Reynolds, and welcome to the Business Method Podcast, a podcast featuring successful entrepreneurs and high-profile people dissecting their business models. We dissect the different methods, tools, and tactics of high-performance online entrepreneurs and high-caliber people in a series format. On our first series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs in 100 days that have built businesses creating $100,000 or more annually. On our second series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs that have built location-independent businesses that produce over a million dollars and annual revenue and now we're interviewing 100 major influencers to get behind the minds and the science of using influence to grow business and influence income results economies and cultures there's a growing number of people building these caliber of businesses like this and we're going to figure out what it takes to make this happen now let's jump in today's show the business method hello podcast listeners welcome to the show and today I'm going to introduce a very special influencer. As we dive down this rabbit hole of influence, we've noticed that there's a couple different types of influencers that are out there. There's an influencer that everybody knows. This influencer is the one that everybody sees, the influencer that has a massive public image. You see them all over Instagram, Twitter, the media, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, you name it. These influencers are what you could call spotlight influencers. Then you actually have another type of influencer. And this influencer isn't so much in the spotlight. This influencer is more of an underground influencer. These are people that have a significant amount of influence but decide to stay under the radar just a little bit. They still have their personal brands. They still get into media sources. But they are not the typical faces that you might see when you think of influencers. Today's guest is a master at the second type of influence. John Hall has been called by Inc. Magazine as one of the most powerful people in media that you have never met. He is Ernest and Young's Entrepreneur of the Year for 2016. He has been recognized as one of Business Journal's Top 100 Visionaries. The company he co-founded was ranked number 239 on the Inc. 500 and number 72 on the Forbes list of the most promising companies in America. There is an art and science to this type of influence. And on the show today, John shares with us some of his best secrets to maintaining this influence. We talk with John about how he developed the company Influence & Co. and how it became the largest creator and distributor of expert content for major media outlets. We also talk with him about building influence with his clients and some of the key takeaways that he learned from seven years of helping other entrepreneurs grow their influence as well. John has some core values as an influencer and it really boils down to simple things such as personal relationships, how he gauges every single personal acquaintance, and how he 
he decides whether he's going to continue that relationship or let it go. Towards the end of the show, we chat with John about two of his really awesome articles that I enjoyed reading, Perception of Influence versus Actual Influence, and how you can use both to grow your brand, as well as seven tips for seeking out and seducing the best influencers to love your brand. Really great show, you guys. Before we hop into it, we just have to tell you really quick about our upcoming event, Get Shit Done Live in Thailand. It is a 10-day productivity retreat in Chiang Mai, Thailand, October 24th through November 2nd. At the event, you will be around other influencers and entrepreneurs. You'll collaborate together. You'll have regular check-ins. It is high-intense productivity. It is the opportunity to come to an event and grow your business. Go on vacation to grow your business in Thailand with other established entrepreneurs. And it's coming up here in just a couple of months. So check that out at thebusinessmethod.com forward slash get dash shit dash done. And without further ado, let's jump into today's show with one of my more enjoyable interviews just because of the content and the value bombs that John shared. Without further ado, let's welcome John Hall to the podcast. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics. Listeners, welcome to the show today. We have John Hall on the podcast, hailing from the metropolis, Columbia, Missouri. How are you doing, John? Yes, the big the big city of the Columbia, Missouri. So yeah, it's, it's doing really well here. Did you grow up there or did you go to college there and just stay? I went to college here. I actually grew up in Pure, Illinois and thought I was in love with the girl and I just read a bunch of Nicholas Sparks novels and came here and uh, <laughs> ended up uh, not even being a love story at all. She ended up not even coming here. Uh, so I was here by myself, had to keep busy. So I started a company and from there I've, I've started a couple here and it's worked out really well. Those Nicholas Sparks novels will get us guys every single time, right? Maybe it's unfair. He just tugs at your heart, you know. What I was thinking, I actually, I was just telling somebody that, and they mentioned something about um, embarrassing moments. I think mine back then was I wrote a personal letter to him, thanking him for writing his book. So that's about as, as embarrassing as. It is. <laughs> Did he respond? No, he didn't. Little butthead. You should follow follow up on that. I don't, I don't blame him. It's kind of pathetic. So, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, I was as you talked as you mentioned that I was trying to think of my one of my most embarrassing moments, but nothing really came. I'm sure I have some, but nothing really came. I mean, everybody makes a fool of somebody they're in love with once upon a time, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm just glad that like I was. It's it's comforting for you to be like you know what? I, after hearing yours, I just can't like beat it. That, that makes me feel better that I can feel better about embarrassing myself so and <laughs> so yeah i'm glad yeah <laughs> well thanks for coming to the show man and and we really appreciate you taking time to come on the podcast one of the things that as i've been researching you and learning more about you um i love how you uh you know we're interviewing 100 major influencers and um, you're not necessarily the Instagram influencer, the guy that ha- is out there in the face of like the typical face of influencers. You're more of like an underground influencer. And Inc. Magazine even called you one of the most powerful people in the media that we've never even heard of, which is amazing. And I like that because there's these 
there's these people out there in the world, they have an incredible amount of influence. And um, a lot of people have never, ever, ever even heard of them. Um, and I know a lot of people have heard of you. But uh, it's, it's cool that you'll take the time and come on the show. So thank you. And I'm curious, just to kind of start it off, um, why do you think Inc. Magazine is calling you one of the most powerful people in the media that we've never heard of? Well, I think like, and I don't know how, you know, how those different things are, are, you know, all it takes is a writer or a contributor or somebody to say that, but, uh, but I would say that from the standpoint of why, uh, I mean, I would say I'm kind of more of the under the radar type influencer. But, I mean, mainly it's just because I, I kind of like it that way. Um, in reality, it's like I'm very, um, for me, like I was very egotistical as a, in my twenties and before, and as I started having kids, I started, and my wife, uh, you know, put me down or puts me down to earth uh, very often. Um, but I started realizing is that, Hey, like I'm doing this stuff to build companies. And honestly, there's a lot of influencers that, that they have amazing companies, even just with their, their own brand. That's very, you know, in the, like out, they're always shooting videos. They're always doing, and, and it's great. Uh, they're, they're fantastic vehicles for their organization. Mine I've just realized is that um, when you're dealing with media outlets and a lot of the people that are in the world that I've been in, when you're talking about major publications, um, if you come off very like showy to them, it can it can rub them the wrong way because a lot of these are editors that just don't like seeing that. So what's been nice for me is like I, I, I like kind of um, naturally have an influence by you know having those relationships, um, but not necessarily screaming all over the world that I have them and you know and all that. So it, it just works for me. But I definitely understand as you look at different types of influencers, uh, there's different kind of portrayals of influence that fit their business model and it works well for them. Yeah, it's really interesting. And, and a lot of people like the under the the radar, like the kind of the go to guy or go to person um, for getting things done and, and getting um, influence and having influence. But um, uh, as we've interviewed, you know, around 50 or so major influencers, we kind of have those two types that are coming to surface. Those people that are like, I want to build Instagram, I want to build social media. And then the people that have uh, this really strong influence that don't even care about that, which is cool. Um, so we're going to talk more about influence later in the podcast. But uh, I want the audience to get to know you a bit better. Now, you're the co-founder of Influence & Co., which is, uh, I think, the largest creator and distributor for expert content media um, that's out there. Uh, Ernest & Young Entrepreneur of the Year. You have almost uh, multiple Forbes articles per month that are going out, um, dozens of Inc. magazine articles, and also the co-founder of Calendar.com and then uh, an author as well. And so I'm curious, like we mentioned earlier, you went to college in, at University of Missouri, and I don't think you're still pretty young, it seems like, you know. And so I'm curious, with when did you start your entrepreneurial career uh, and, and what were some of your first uh, businesses that you fired up? Sure. Uh, yeah, first one was uh, I was actually a, a lunch brokerage in third grade where I <laughs> would um, actually talk kids into putting certain things in their lunch. Um, because I knew we could get a, I could get more in trade for it, and so I'd talk them into getting their parents because I knew I could get more for Twinkies over you know gushers or fruit roll ups or you know whatever. So that was the first one. Then I got in trouble for that one though, so I had to I had to stop. That was my first lesson of uh, how you know government regulation can affect your business. Um, so I got suspended there. 
But um, after that, I mean, my, my big thing is kind of like going back to the university when I was, you know, uh, kind of lonely um, that first year. I didn't have, um, I was used to being a social butterfly, but uh, being somewhat busy. And so I wanted to maintain, um, you know, kind of a busy schedule. So I started working, saving money. And my first business was I, I raised, I, I, it was like eight or $10,000 in a semester of work and then bought a rental or bought a, a house actually i went to 33 banks I, I believe i think the 34th bank was the one that that told me that they'd uh and my my partner business partner at the time they went to us and we ended up uh yeah buying that flipping it then i took the money and then i flipped two more houses took that money and so when i was like 20 years older and i was 21 i had about six rental properties um just because i just kept flipping and using the extra money to leverage there and it ended up being a, a reasonably successful business and while I was doing that I was working with a a, a lot more success, successful entrepreneur in real estate and I thought I was going to be heading that direction but then the opportunity to um, start Influence & Co came up um, which was kind of sparked by me being a younger entrepreneur and uh, the idea was actually came from a guy named Brent who uh, we, Brent, myself and Kelsey, the kind of founders of that of Influence um, we, we just saw it as a need, like, uh, we were younger entrepreneurs that wish there was a service that would help create content from, you know, entrepreneurs and smaller companies. And so it just started off that way. And then we ended up, you know, getting a lot bigger and working with some of the larger brands out there. And, and then we sold that in October. Um, and so then the focus became calendar. Very cool. And, uh, how long did you have influence and co? Uh, about seven years. So it was like seven or eight years. And Kelsey, actually, the company, she actually is leading it now and has majority. So it was a pretty, about as amicable or as amicable of start and finish you can get from the standpoint of uh, founders. We, we've gotten along pretty well. You know, I, I read a couple of your articles on influence uh, that you had on Forbes. What do you think were some of the biggest takeaways that you learned about influence while running Influence & Co.? I mean, key thing is to have a, like, to be very, very focused on, like, your actual goals, like, of why are you doing this? Like, there's a lot of people that gain influence, and then they're just like, oh, great, and they don't know how to monetize it. And then they're struggling on, like, okay, what do I do here? I've got this audience. And in reality, like, um, influence is, is a vehicle. It's, it's, it's a way to, and the reason why it's becoming more valuable these days is because trust is a big issue right now in our communities and in our business world is that people have a lack of trust. So if you have some influence with a certain sector that trusts you, it makes it valuable. So it's like, it has to be focused on, Hey, like there's, there's opportunities like a part. And that's why this growth of thought leadership happened where the term thought leadership um, got very popular because companies were starting to realize that they had to be a trusted resource at their executive level. And so that's why all these budgets have increased significantly for thought leadership. And so the need is there. It will continue to get bigger and bigger. But the problem that people fall into is they, they do it only for ego and they don't do it as a vehicle. Um, there's a, a friend of mine who we worked with for years, uh, Eric Huberman from Hawk Media. And he is like a really good example of somebody that like there's so many opportunities that come to Hawk because of the way he's built his influence. And when I do talk to him, he's very clear. He's like, this is why I'm building it. He's not building it to go home and show off to his wife. Like I know that she's not impressed by those things. <laughs> but uh, in reality, he is always focused on, okay, we're creating this content for this reason. And then I'm going to leverage it here. So we're using it in our marketing. We're using it in our sales. We're using it to get recruits. 
And so um, I think that having that in mind and making sure you're focused on not the egotistical, which it's impossible. You're when you get some cool opportunities, it's you're going to feel this ego bump. But as long as you're very focused on, I'm doing this to be a vehicle for my company to accomplish this goal. That is the um, one thing people have to stay focused on. How do uh, I know you've worked with a lot of influencers, especially with Influence and Co. But how? What are some suggestions for you to keep to try and keep your ego out of um, your influence to make sure that you're handling it responsibly, uh, to make sure you know people aren't getting inflated e- egos, um, to be to make sure people you know as an entrepreneur, successful entrepreneur, people are still staying well grounded. Uh, I think key thing, it's very hard to do that by yourself. Self-awareness is a, is a gift and a challenge at the same time. Like when you have it, it's, it's great, but it's hard to, um, you know, if we're all self-aware, I think it'd be a lot better of a, a world. But, um, I think that the key thing is to have, surround yourself with people and, and, really value feedback really value them calling you out for you know when things are like that like i mean kelsey was a good example um you know my business partner now uh is his name or his name's john rampton he's he's the same way is that he or they, if i'm doing something that's kind of weird or or something that's like going to turn an audience off or whatever um somebody will you know i'm fortunate to have these people around that will be like hey that was a really like douchebag of a move. Um, and, and I think those are things that, um, the more open, the more receptive, the more you ask for feedback, the more you try and, um, you know, get those people around you, the better you're going to like be, start being more self-aware because, um, in reality, you're going to have people looking and watching your back and making sure that, you know, you're, you're being the best version of yourself possible. Um, let's talk more about influence and co, because I don't think we, we haven't interviewed very many people who's, businesses was flat out to, to help people become influencers really mm-hmm. and um, or to gain influence and uh, you started it seven years ago um, with you and your partner what was the original idea behind influence and co where did where did you come up with it and, and why did you decide to go forward with it I mean, in reality, like the initial kind of idea was brought up by uh, Brent um, because he actually was like, man, I wish somebody would write these articles or I wish I just don't have time because I've got to run companies. And then Kelsey and I were kind of secondary when we were, we were like, I remember there was a couple things that happened to me where I walked into a room and people were like, who is this person? And I hated that feeling. It was like the feeling like you're the last kid picked in dodgeball. And so, um, you know, and when we kind of sat down and we were like, Hey, like if we can help, you know, people, you know, have with these same challenges, like I want someone, I would like, I want to pay for a service. So when I walk into a room, there's immediate trust. People are like, Oh, I've heard of him or I've, you know, yeah, I loved his content. And like in reality, like one of the best ways to build trust is through education, like teachers, mentors. Those are a lot of the people that people trust uh, most because they're learning and people value when you teach them something. So what ended up happening is like, Hey, let's, you know, build influence, but focus on the education side and help people become more educational with these audiences. So now they're the sources for information. So that's where the niche was, is that we were very focused on creating expert content from people. Um, and that's what made us different than PR and different from a lot of things that were out there. And so, um, and you know, as we started testing out with entrepreneurs, we started realizing that it wasn't just an entrepreneur challenge. It was brand leaders, executives, um, companies in general just wanted to create more content and at the same time SEO and search was valuing you know quality content they were uh, recruiting and employer branding was taking off so we just kind of got lucky where
even though we were like only thinking of solving this one problem, there's these other things that started coming up where it was like, hey, if what we're doing for people have multiple benefits. So it, it made it where we could be pretty valuable to an organization. And uh, so, and you recently decided to to exit Influence and Colon. You had a multi million dollar exit. So, congratulations, man! And yeah. what do you think? I know you're working on. You're moving to Calendar. So, here's uh, Calendar dot com. So, real quick, I have to ask you: um, How did you get that domain? Did you hold? <laughs> did you have it, or did you pay a lot of money for it? Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of people ask that because it was something that was kind of like an un- unobtainable type domain. It was owned by a guy for a while, and and like, um, really, my my business partner for this deal would probably I would want to give him more of the credit just because he's a very just helpful individual. And like the way we kind of get get along really well is that we both like helping and looking out for other people. And I think uh, honestly, when it comes down to it, like to, to make a long story short, it was just helping someone out at the right time and the right moment and being there. And then you know having uh, the guy at the same time believed in what we were doing. And was like, hey, like I think this could be big and take off. And so I think from like the lesson that I've learned from it is that anything's possible and anything's kind of achievable. But like for us, our way of of getting a lot of this opportunity that comes to us is looking out for other people. Just the more you look out, and I think we he helped him out with some placements um, and some other things, which made it like a, a deal that was very amicable and worked out well. And so I think that's the lesson that I take from that. Is that, yeah, I mean we we got a great asset because you know helpfulness and looking out for others and a lot of times they'll they'll return the favor look out for you and work out a deal that's you know mutually beneficial it's like just relationship building that's what it all comes down to right yeah i mean as sad as i mean as crazy as it is it's like i mean a lot i I wish i had some rocket science like that was like guys you've got to check this out this is crazy but a lot of the things that um come to me is like i guess values that come to you know, myself or, or one of my, you know, business partners is just because you're looking out for other people, you're trying to help them out, you want them to, you know, succeed. And so you're, you know, and in reality is that no matter, and if you read my book, Top of Mind, it's like, as long as you keep doing that and stay top of people's mind, they're going to find a way to help you out. It's natural for the, if you're surrounding yourself with the right people and looking out for them, that they're going to come to you at the right time, um, you know, to create opportunities. So it's not rocket science. It's just, focusing on, you know, creating value in others and staying in touch. And, you know, it it typically comes back. Um, I I know you mentioned this in one of the articles you wrote for Forbes also, but um, what are some, like they say, there's a a max of 150 people that we can keep relationships with at any given time. Um, But that has to change throughout our lives, right? As we grow, different people, you know, come into that 150 and different people leave. So a couple questions. How do you choose like who you're going to continue to maintain relationships with? And then just some some little tips on a regular basis. How how do you stay in touch with those people? Yeah, I mean, for for me, it's it's pretty... uh pretty simple is that like, um, I look at a, a couple things. Like I look at one, um, you know, are they good people that will, it's going to be a reciprocal relationship. Like are these people that will look out, you know, for me, I look out for them because in reality, it doesn't matter how much you like someone. If it's a one-sided relationship. It's kind of similar to like a marriage. 
doing stuff to help one person out and, and it's never reciprocated, it has no chance of lasting. And so for, for me, I look at that as, and uh, I also look at kind of where we're going, where our visions are, like, are they going to, you know, cross paths? Can we add value for each other? So from a standpoint of even like people who aren't even in the same industry, there's still people that I can, that we can help each other out just by sharing expertise, uh, intros, things that, um, you know, and so I look at that as well. Um, I look at, um, honestly, just likability, like, are we going to, um, you know, enjoy hanging out 10 years from now and, and, you know, having a, having a glass of wine and be like, man, it's been a awesome 10 years. Like, that's how I feel about Kelsey, for example. And, you know, some of the people that are, are, are surrounding me is that, you know, you get to have those kind of life moments that are fun because, you know, money is, is great and, and I'm all about profiting, you know, in, in the right way. But at the same time is that, you know, life is short. And so you know, having that kind of journey be a little more fun and, you know, with good people, I think those are kind of three areas that I, I look at. Um, and yeah, I mean, o- overall, it's like if people keep on, you know, uh, like make an effort and it's reciprocal at the same time, you're making each other better, um, you know, and, and you're enjoying it at the same time, it, it's pretty easy. It, it makes these relationships uh, easy when they become hard, it's a lot harder to maintain them. And so, um, that's when I end up kind of letting fall thing, things fall through when it's difficult to maintain a relationship like that. When, when does somebody leave that list? Like for, for example, so, um, for me, if somebody's, you know, does something that I don't feel is in, in integrity with, um, you know, honesty and, and good business, uh, or if somebody is, brings some drama, uh, to the, not the relationship, but just maybe has too much drama in their own lives and that can, uh, overflow and then affect my life. So those are some things that, that I look for when, um, uh, making sure that the, my top 150 people are, are well knit, so to speak. So I'm curious, what are some things that, that would turn you off from a person to not want to spend more time around them or stay connected to them? Uh, probably the big thing is, um, is a lack of appreciation when you're really, you know, looking out for them. Like if you, if you help someone out and, you know, get them and they immediately a month later kind of screw you over. Um, that's a pretty big no, no for me just because like, you know, when, when people look out for you and, and create some sort of opportunity, there, there's gotta be some sort of sense of gratefulness and turning around and immediately like showing that you're not only not grateful, but also almost just don't value it at all. Like that, that's pretty much a, a dunzo for me. The other things, like, I think it's really like, it's interesting how you said yours, cause I would agree with you is that like, there's certain things like moral fabric, like if, if somebody, I don't know, did something really terrible. Yes, it's it's a disown situation. But as crazy as it is, I've realized some of my important relationships over time have been because they messed up um, and they did something pretty shitty. And I was there for them. Now I didn't approve it, and I didn't say great. And it wasn't necessarily to me. That's it's because they they made a bad decision. They screwed up. They know they did. And I think that there's these moments of vulnerability. And I think it's different. If someone does something truly wrong to hurt and maliciously hurt someone, that is. Um, something different than I look at is if somebody just messed up and did some idiotic move. Cause um, yeah, I mean, at those moments of vulnerability, sometimes it's the best, it's the biggest opportunity to help someone out. So I think that you're, you're right. I kind of agree with you, but at the same time is that sometimes there are unique circumstances where somebody just messed up and they need someone to be in their corner and, and help them, you know, kind of be a bit that better version of themselves. And so I would just say, 
Um, yeah, I agree, but it, there are moments where, you know, people do make mistakes and, you know, given that it wasn't truly to hurt someone, I'll be there for them and, and try and get their back a little. Yeah. If somebody like openly admits and is willing to try and earn that respect back, then absolutely. Like, yep. you know, come, yeah, come back in to my circle or tribe or whatever and and let's go from here because i see that you want to continue this relationship so yeah that's a really good point um let's talk more about calendar and um you said you sent me an email and you said hey we've got to get you off calendly and get you on calendar.com and i said okay i'll check it out (laughs) and uh so give us a quick pitch like uh what's the advantages of calendar versus uh compared to some of the competitors out there and what are you guys doing yeah, yeah, and and honestly, in reality, I, like we like I don't know them well. My, my business partner knows them, and, and we, I mean we actually like those those people over there. And so, um, it, it's more we I think that we're heading like the vision of where calendar is going is to be this this uh, it's going to fill this major gap. So when you put in like Calendly and Schedule Once and Doodle, there's all these like there's tons and tons of um, uh, tools um, for your calendar productivity. That's over, like that kind of fills one side of the of a calendar and then you have the other side you have google apple uh, microsoft which are the big obviously outlook and google calendar and iCal are huge players there where i think we we're going to fill in a very nice void where for example some people just i mean talk about problems some people just can't get their calendars to talk to each other so for example my wife's on let's say iCal i'm on google calendar my business partners on outlook until now I mean like there really wasn't there's not a ton of options to actually have them communicate well and to have them in one place and so things like that where you can look at the big kind of players there and make sure that um, you know they're playing nice together within you know calendar.com and then at the same time the features like for example we have features where like let's say you and I we're chatting and we realized somebody should have been on the call. We could have hit an option that will have, um, you know, a, a calendar call in, record it, transcribe it, store it in that invite. So you can always go back and search and be like, oh, what did Chris and I talk about? Hey, let's forward this to someone else. Or what did, you know, uh, you know, and in the future, we'll actually want to highlight important things like take note and, and the way AI is going, we're actually going to be able to develop that in a way that it actually makes suggestions on the most important things on a call. So like that's one example. Another one is like even, and this will come out in December, but like our team functionality for analytics, I will be able to go in there and look at my team and see, you know, who's, you know, ultimately who's spending their time most valuable. Like for like we, we did some, um, some uh, data gathering and we found out that the best calls um, for a team were 22 minutes. So if you looked at the salesperson, the time they were spending, um, and the the top performers, um, we found out that there was actually a way to track like what were the behaviors of these people with their time. And in reality, like the more we get into time analytics and understanding that, the more we're going to be able to truly help teams work together well, people develop more. Just because a lot of times you you look at well, how can I be better at you know different things? Time is the central thing that every single person if they use their time better or more wisely they can not only be a higher performer they can be happier because they spend more time at home and so i think that like when you when you look at what we're creating we're creating something that fills a, a need like a void and, and everybody seems to be wanting something like this in addition we're, we're creating something that has a vision to truly make a difference in people's lives for the better. Um, and so I think we're not there yet on where the, the product is, um, but a year or two down the road, we will be and 
helping with that vision. But for now, it's just it's a great calendar tool that will help with scheduling and some analytics. And uh, yeah, it's it's going over well pretty well, or thus far. Very cool. Take us take us into the works of it because I, I checked it out briefly um, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, it, it looked like there's you guys are analyzing a lot of time spent right on on people. So is it kind of a mixture between increasing productivity and using your calendar at the same time? Yeah. I mean, yeah. In, in reality, like productivity and, and ha- happiness, there's a lot of things that are, are in, heavily influenced by how you spend your time. And so, um, yes, I mean, we see it as a, a productivity and scheduling tool. Um, but we see it as just the beginning is that if we can truly help people with how they manage their time and how they spend it, um, like for example, and this is not, I, I don't want to get you overly excited, but like, this is something that I would love to see it do in the future. So next year, you know, let's say I like my wife and my relationship with my wife is super important. However, there's a lot of times I forget to do date night. I'd love a calendar tool that would say, Hey, we realize that you haven't spent, um, you know, the last two months, there's been no scheduled date nights. It would be great for you guys to to me or to uh, schedule this here are times open with your shared calendar with your wife. Now, I think that's the direction that we can head in making on whether it's productivity or happiness, it can get there. But I think for now it's like, even just looking at the analytics that the current paid uh, version does, you can look and see like, like if I had a screenshot, I could show you, like I, I looked and I saw the top five people that I'm spending my time with. And like a lot of them like have nothing to do with my business. Like I was just preaching to you about surrounding yourself with good people that are going to make you better. And I looked like the one week, it was a few weeks ago. And like my top two people were people that really don't bring any value to my company or myself. And for some reason I was just getting into meetings with them. And that was a good self-awareness thing for me to look at and see, wow, look who I'm spending my time with like through the, you know, this tool. And it's telling me that, wow, this is a self-awareness moment and I need to be a little more productive with how I'm spending it. And for some reason I'm gravitating towards people that have no value on my business or myself. Um, and so I, I thought, I found that very valuable. Yeah, that's, that's really, really insightful. And I would love like something like that because we have this course that we're getting ready to release. And over the past 10 years since I've been an entrepreneur, um, every year or so, what I'll do is spend a couple of weeks and write down what I'm doing every 20 minutes of the day for two weeks straight. And that is so eye-opening. The first time I did it, I realized I was wasting like three hours in a day. But if we could have an AI mixed with a calendar that can just tell you all that stuff, like, hey, you know, hey, Chris, you haven't had a call with this team member in two weeks. You want to set that up or you haven't called your parents, um, you know, in a while. You, can I book that for you? That would be so amazing. And, and I think you're on the right path for for what's really going to help people be more effective and productive in their lives. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we'll get there. I mean, right now we're, we're gaining the trust on scheduling and getting it where people, and that's what I've had to learn. This has been a tough business lesson for me is that I want something to do something so fast, but in reality, like you also need to listen to your customers and try and like start with very, um, I would say more simplified user experience and don't have it do everything at once, like get their trust have them love the, your current product. And then once they get there, that's when you evolve. And so that's something I've had to learn with tech that I didn't have to before with services. You could be like, Oh, I have a new service. We should test out with tech. It's a little different. Um, so I think that if, if you sign on or any of the readers sign on, they're going to love the kind of evolution of it over the next year. Um, just cause we're rolling on in a more thoughtful way. So people have that good user experience. I like it. 
So when launching a business like this, like I know you guys are investing a lot into it now and um, getting more users and users. Um, since you've built up the significant amount of influence, how are you using your influence to start to grow calendar.com? I mean, in re- like it's creating a lot more opportunity than like I'm just telling you, it's like 10 times easier to get traction now than it was with influence code when nobody knew who I was. Um, one of the reasons is just opportunities are easier. People will take calls. <laughs> like if I reach out to someone, it's, you know, they'll immediately get on and, and we'll be able to, you know, find out a way to uh, make something happen. And so I think from my standpoint, it's made it so that just like trust barriers decrease when you have influence because people want to get on the phone with you and work with you. So uh, I would say that it's just, it's very notice. It's a noticeable different that difference that when I want to partner or do something together with people like we, like for example, I was just going over the numbers of, you know, in um, January, we were about 90,000 or something around there page views. And we were about a hundred signups a month. This last month we were over 4,000 signups and then oh, it was like 400,000 page views and we're growing significant. When you look at the opportunities, the reason why we're like the content, a lot of it's because we were tapping into relationships that we've gained over the last eight years and they're able to, whether it's like a partner sending out to their email list, like uh, something that we actually did was we did a helpfulness guide. So we're always about helping others, obviously. But at the same time, we also need to realize that it's okay to ask for help. So we did a helpfulness guide, which was which was like, hey, when you ask how you can help calendar, there's a list of here are the things by prioritization that you can do to help us either gain more um, you know, readers to what we're doing or you know, clients. And that's just been super helpful because almost daily I'm sending 10 to 15 of those guides out and probably half of them, you know, are doing something and I'm actually, you know, reciprocating as I've helped these people out for years. So I I would say that the influence has helped because there's a significant less amount of trust barriers in addition to, um, you know, now we're able to, you know, tap into these uh, opportunities that we would have never had if we didn't have the influence there so it's, it's just been a lot easier on that side to scale and gain traction that's why i tell people is like no matter what like i'll always be investing in my own personal brand because of that i could be starting a lawn service in town i don't care um i'm gonna be investing in myself and the people around me um from that kind of influential and personal branding side because no matter what it will make things easier and generate opportunities that would not have happened without that influence regarding influence like you you literally i think we spoke about it but have uh, multiple art- articles per month that are going out on Forbes. Um, and we mentioned that you've been called one of the most powerful people in the media. Um, <clears throat> if somebody wanted to start uh, writing articles and submitting them to major media platforms, how do you recommend people start doing that? And what are some of the best ways to get connections to to get into these major platforms? I mean, I think dipping your toe in and getting like some you know, don't immediately go after your, the biggest and the hardest ones. Um, to, be, to be real, like a lot of times it just, like I don't come up with something, even though like, so I write all over the place. You've mentioned Forbes Inc., but I also write for, I just did a piece for HBR. I um, write for Lifehack. Um, I write in a variety of, of, of places. And, you know, it's hard to come up with something crazy brilliant that is like perfect for that publication um, when they need it. And so I would say that, um, you know, start reaching out. And when you go to events, like, uh, I was just at content, content marketing world where I ran into like six people with like 
awesome blogs, one actually like a, a major brand that was like, oh, we'd love to have you contribute. And so I think that from, you know, the standpoint of initial, like I would just, one, try and meet people that have, you know, decent blogs or decent audiences when you're traveling or when you're at an event. If not, start um, going to the places that, you know, they, they might want your, you know, content or, I mean, at the same time, you can work on a piece that you think is really um a you know great for a harder place but in reality a lot of these places like just being very real with you they just care about traffic like a lot of publications these days are struggling on um like and, and i don't want to make that a blanket statement but a lot of them they just need the readers and they need the people to be engaged so that's what they care about and so anything you can do to you know increase the likelihood that you're somebody that's going to have content that performs well on their site then great so that means like, you know, uh, once started, starting off not with their place, starting off, you know, other places that are a little easier to get into. And even if you're gaining 100 to 200 or 300 followers or building your list in a way where it's a, you know, a, a slow kind of increase, it, it, by the time you get there, because another thing is like you want to, them to want you again. You don't want to just one time shot and you want people to want you. And so if you don't build that the right way and like, and, and the, it's almost like think like Warren Buffett. Don't think I'm just trying to get the short term win immediately. And like think I'm going to be investing in my brand for a long time. And every little step that I'm taking, like what I did took over three to four years to plan out. And I've been doing it for, you know, seven, eight years now. So um, I would just say don't go for the quick fixes because they can come off really bad. And, it, and also it just, it's hard to make them work. So just take baby steps, baby steps. And then when you see an opportunity to get that big, bigger break, like you run into the editor of some publication in person, you're having dinner or you make an effort to do that, take that opportunity to try and get that first big break. And, and, you know, ultimately you might have a good shot at getting it sooner rather than later. Mm, good point. Um, also one of the topics that you, you touch on in some of your article and one of your articles is the, the difference between perception of influence versus actual influence. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, this comes up for me from time to time because, uh, I started podcasting and I have good connections with entrepreneurs and, and I didn't even know that people thought of me as an influencer. One time, you know, people started coming coming up to me and they said, oh, Chris, you're a really good connector. You're a good influencer. And I, I kind of thought, wow, that's interesting. I didn't even know. Um, but because I have a podcast, a lot of people have this perception, you know, that I'm making eight figures and, and super successful and, and have uh, all this influence around the world. <clears throat> but, um, you know, I, I think sometimes my own personal perception of influence is, is, bigger than the actual influence that I have. And I'm working hard to, you know, keep the actual influence up with, up, you know, to equal pace as the perception of influence. So how, how can we recognize like if somebody's an actual influencer, um, versus, uh, just somebody that's out there that has this, this perception, but maybe that's it, built on a house of cards. I mean, yeah, I mean, but I also look at, so, when I, when I talk about perception versus real influence, I, one of the most helpful ways I explain it is not necessarily judging who might have it or who d doesn't. Sometimes it's something that I tell people is like, it's also with your own, with your own investment and goals, like to gain real influence. Like you've been working on this podcast for years. You've been working on your relationships for years. You've been going to events. Like even before, you know, we got acquainted, I was like, okay, kind of, I've, I've heard it before. So it's like, you've, you've worked to do this over time and and so you're you're on a path of real influence now some people call me up and I'm like hey 
I want to have real influence. Like we're, we're launching this product and I want to have real influence like by next month. And I'm like that just, no, like, I mean, one, if you're going to like real influence takes so much time and money. Is it valuable? Absolutely. But it's a lot of times long-term investment and consistency there. Um, but sometimes you don't need it. Like sometimes if, if somebody uh, like the example came where somebody's like, Hey, we're going to be doing a launch of this new product that we did, but honestly I'm going to be selling out or selling out of it once it, you know, does well. And I told him like, in reality, you just need some, a couple hits. So you need like the perception of influence where you get a couple good placements and you're sharing it out. People are actually seeing, wow, like, man, this company seems like it's all over the place. Now that's perception. It, like it, it, in reality, is that true influence? Uh, yes, in a way, but it's more the perception is that, wow, like this, co- like this company got, a, like, it's almost like the, the ink thing that you said, like that's the perception of influence where I can use that when people are, you know, looking into me, they can see, wow, they, like this person seems very credible. It's one of the more influential people in media, but that's not the real influence. The real influence is that if you need something from me, like I actually have the connections and the resources to make it happen, um, which has been something acquired over time. And so I think that when people and when reader or your listeners are, um, you know, listening to here is that sometimes you, you can get by with this, just the perception. Now in the long term, I encourage people to really focus and build real influence, but sometimes it just takes that, Hey, we just need to add, I almost like credibility, but like badges and points and things so that whatever you're doing, there's some credibility behind it, but then you limit your investment. Um, so that you can spend it on some things that are super important. So like if you're doing a direct response campaign or something where leads are so important, you know, this real influence can be honestly a waste of money at a certain point. It's like you, you, as a business owner, you've got to decide what takes priority. And so it just really depends. Sometimes I'm telling people, Hey, you just need perception of influence right now, getting some credibility around here, but I want most of your dollars going towards this because it's more important in the long run. I want it to come back here, but I just want to be real in that every dollar matters when you're an entrepreneur and so be smart about it and don't just throw something because you're like oh I want to be this influencer that I've seen because I'm said so they worked at that for years it's hard it you you should do it but in reality is that the, you, you've got to be once again focused on the goals and and use the correct tool or the correct strategy that is a limited investment while also you know gaining a lot of uh, or gaining what you need to succeed um, but still saving some money in the tank to spend on other things that are really important to a company that's a good point. If you if you were telling others, uh, you know, when working with influencers, what are some ways to identify um, whether you think somebody is maybe an inauthentic influencer that you know maybe might has a might have a big perception of influence versus somebody? What are some of the things that you would tell people to look for for somebody that is an actual solid influence that can be um, applicable to partnering with? Um, I mean, I would just say, be honestly, be, I mean, be cautious of anything you read online until you actually know, like, this is something that I'll tell you is that like, I was just talking to someone the other day on, um, or at the event at content marketing world. And they, they were asking me about, uh, an influencer that's really well known. I mean, influencer sold millions of copies of books. Like uh, you would know the name if I said it. Um, but I, I told him, it's like, I, I know this person, I've been around him. It's a relationship expert and he treats his whole staff like crap. He's, um, and when you're behind stage with him, he's not easy to deal with. And it's one of those things where I'm like, man, like you're just honestly full of shit because like 
you speak and I've read your book and like, it's not how you treat people. And so I think that like, for me, I, I tell people not to put anybody on a, a, a crazy pedestal, respect people, um, you know, look for people that are going to truly help you when you get the opportunity to be around the real people, uh, go out and, and try and hang out with them. When people come to me at events and it's just like, Hey, like I've read your book, read this. I'd love to just, uh, you know, grab a quick drink or if there's a happy hour, or if you're doing something like I, I typically try to, um, because I want people to know that I'm not full of shit and that I'm actually like, Hey, like I care about you and want you to do well. And so I, I would just say, you know, be cautious and don't read everything you see. There's a lot of nuances that people who create content leave out. Um, so they'll say, Oh, we're giving you everything. and I'm gonna tell you every secret. But in reality, they might've had some success because of some nuance that you're just not aware of. Um, so just be cautious and really try to get to know people and, um, you know, focus on not copying what everybody else does or, or what everybody else is doing. Because in reality, like if everybody's copying, that's what makes like things unique and success is that a lot of times you're thinking slightly different. So take things from you learn from me or others and then like, Inter, like include it in your own strategy and like kind of because uh, you'll know more information than I will about your specific situation and so I would just say be cautious um, take uh, things with grains of, grain of salt still make strategy your own and then just have it you know uh, contributed by other things that you pick um, almost like the greatest hits like be, be always be creating a greatest hits album for knowledge and you're the producer not me <laughs> I like that. Uh, who are some influencers that you look up to? Um, the Kardashians. No, I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> I actually do respect that. I mean, they've done well, but um, for me, um, huh, that I look up to, I wouldn't say there's a lot that I mean that I necessarily or admire or yeah i mean yeah i would just say there's like ones that i respect that they like they look at like i really do like i mean my, my john rampton is this one i do business with in a couple different ways um just johnrampton.com he's great um john ruin is another one um who wrote um giftology he's somebody who like he's made me smarter um from a thoughtful standpoint of understanding like i don't just take from him and was like, oh, I'm going to be a better gift giver. I think that I, I pay attention to him because he helps me think about being more thoughtful in my communication. So it's like, I like that. Um, I mean, a lot of them are just people that like, I actually know how they treat people. Like it, it's like the everydays, it's the people that are surrounding me. They don't necessarily have to have like a, a ton of influence. Um, it's more, they have a, a level of influence and they're doing it the right way and they're, they're helping people. They're not just doing it to make um, as much money as possible. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't know. There's uh, trying to think if there's any other ones that come to mind. I mean, I mentioned Eric earlier. He's great. Bob Glazer. I love his Friday forwards. Um, that's something that really, um, has been great for me. Uh, Brittany Hodak. I really like her on how she like creates super fans. Like I think that a lot of brands should create major advocates and like the champions. And so she speaks a lot about that. I like that. But yeah. I mean, that's just kind of rattling off. Seems like those are a lot of um, people that are also kind of underground influence, not underground, but not main, I would say super mainstream influencers. Yeah, I would say that they're, um, they're more people. I mean, like, as funny as it is, if I need something uh, done, a lot of those people are the ones that are actually gonna be able to move the mountains. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I would, I mean, if we're talking kind of like, the flashy, um, the flashy ones, it really, as crazy as it is uh, and as sad as it is for me, it just, a lot of times they're so caught up in the production of their own brand. It's like, they don't help each other out as much. And I don't want to say that as a flat, flat statement or a 
too, because there's a lot of um, them that I think um, do a great job. But those are the ones that I know that I, like I respect that I that I see consistently looking out for others. So that's why they came to mind first. Who who was the first John that you mentioned? Was it John Rathke or something well, like that? John Rampton. So Rampton. He started Calendar, and my, he's my partner on that deal. Got it. And the second John was John Ruin, correct? Yeah, yeah and he wrote Giftology. So if you want to check that out on Amazon, that's a it's a pretty okay. good, um pretty good book. Very cool. Um, one thing that that another thing that you one of the articles that stood out for me is is you have an article about seeking out and seducing the best influencer influencers to love your brand, mm-hmm. and um, and you mentioned the best influencers aren't always well known. Um, there's a new Netflix documentary out called The Family. Have you seen it? I'm not. Okay, so um, it's about this underground fundamental right Christian network that's tied into American and world politics, um, and 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 they're they're incredibly powerful. And so a lot of their it's almost like a little fraternity, and their members are actually congressmen, senators, and have been presidents or people that are. Um, they almost like if you want to be president, you almost have to be supported by them um, in some major. Yeah. So it's really cool. So in the documentary, they talk about this guy um, went and, and wrote a couple books about them um, because this and it's a real thing. Uh, this 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 Christian network they call the family is both, you know, nonpartisan. So it's they have Republican members, Democrat members, and, and the ideal is their faith. And that they want to get as many people in power as possible to spread the message that they want to spread. Um, And the leader of it is a guy named Douglas Coe. And uh, many people have claimed that he's probably pretty close to one of the most powerful men in the world because of all the influence. But he teaches that um, the best way to be uh, influential um, and the way you can spread your influence and power the most is by nobody knowing who you are, keeping out of the scenes, keeping your your influence underground, people not um, spreading you know uh, rumors about you or putting you in the newspaper and all these things. So um, you mentioned that kind of stood out to me. It's a really good documentary, and I recommend anybody check it out. It's a docu series, uh, and it's pretty intense and shocking and a little scary too. But uh, you mentioned in one of your articles that the best influencers aren't always well known, and we've talked about that. Um, I, I I'm curious, like, is there is there strategy to to keeping that name as an influence to make sure it doesn't go uh, mainstream, or do you just kind of like pick your pick and choose the the media and the platforms that are you using that you're using to so. You know, you're not blasted all over Reddit and don't become as big as the Kardashians and that sort of thing. Does that make sense? I know it's a long question. Yeah, no, 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 that's good. And I think you you bring up a good point is that, um, I mean, we, and also I don't want to like, when I say underground, I like you still should look credible in your brand. So it's like any of the people I met, like if you look, they have a good site, they have good social following, they engage people. They're just not like d- trying to get their, you know, their a TV show on, you know, uh, on, you know, some, sh- or some, um, uh, you know, reality TV show or just so that they reach the masses. I, like I'm the, I would say make your brand look credible and, um, you know, be, you know, don't hide things necessarily. I, I think that you like, you don't want to be like an underground mob boss. It's more like make <laughs> your brand look credible 
in, in a way where when people check you out, because I also think that if you don't like, if people can't even find you or you're not that like, and they don't like get these credibility hits, I think that hurts you. So like, I would disagree with someone where they're like, Hey, like make sure you stay under the written. No, it's not that like, make sure your brand is credible and that you look, you know, you have good social profiles. Like people immediately look at you and you're like, it's like, Hey, this looks like a solid brand that has done their you know stuff to portray a, a solid brand. So that's fine. I'm not, I'm just saying like, don't turn it into a showy and, and go for a global audience. When in reality, your audience might be 200 people like as, as crazy as it is there's a one of my friends who has a uh, another a organization that is cmos and the influence that that, that guy has just with like let's say 600 people or 500 people if i if i went somewhere else and was like hey do you know this person's name they'd be like no i don't know but the dude the dude has a relationship with like 600 of the most powerful cmos in the world so of course, like, and he does a great job with content, does a great job with portraying his brand. He's not like hiding in some, you know, cave being like, ha nobody knows who I am. Um, but in reality, he's very focused with why he's building influence with who and, um, you know, and he engages them in great ways, which makes his brand so much more valuable. And uh, yeah, it's, it's extremely influential and, and it's only to probably 600 to 1000 people. Yeah, that's cool. Um, another point you made in that article, John, is is that a lot of influencers, quite a few of us actually, love um, influence more than money. And I recognize this, you know, about five years ago that I had this pattern that if if I had to choose the the dollars or the influence, I would always go down the path of the influence. And I was just doing this unconsciously um, because I see how. Uh, you know, money is, it can come in and out of our lives pretty easily, especially as entrepreneurs. But um, to grow that influence, that's such um, a long-term play uh, and to position yourself in, in key opportunities to where you can grow that influence um, is, is really, really, really valuable. So for example, like, let's just say Tim Ferriss. Um, if Tim Ferriss lost everything, he's still Tim Ferriss and Tim could build could start something tomorrow from zero and it'd be a very successful business really rapidly, right? Because he has that influence and that's what I always saw. So um, what are your thoughts? Uh, can you elaborate that uh, a little bit more on that and, and maybe share some examples, John, of where you've chosen the influence route over the quick dollar sign? Um, yeah, I mean, like, and that's a good point. So like if Tim, uh, let's say went bankrupt tomorrow, would I take or like would I take a, a call with him in two weeks to, to oh yeah like can you reach out hey would we'll jump on the phone now would I reach out to him honestly because it's uh, in, in combinations because of multiple like when I've been when I've briefly been around him super nice and has treated people well in addition like there's familiarity there and so I think that from a standpoint um, of of Tim for example and Tim has created mass influence um, something to point out is that there's unique things that fell into place for Tim to be as well known as he is. It's very hard to get the level of Tim Ferriss. Um, you know, and, and some things fell in, into place really well, but for, for that example, like I would say that like, no matter what you can, I've seen so many entrepreneurs go bankrupt and then like get back on the, I mean, there was one that was bankrupt at 30, 35 and 43 different companies. And then has a, <laughs> Um, you know, eight, no, probably nine figure business in his 40 and when he's 45. 
So I would say that's a part of the persistence of an entrepreneur is that, you know, if you don't find success early, then you can be persistent and keep at it, keep at it. But something that will help is this investment. And that's what I like. I was just advising a, a younger entrepreneur. I said, always be investing in your brand because like, you don't know, like you could fail this one and you don't want to start from scratch again. You want people to like trust you. You want, and it, and it creates these lack of barriers to start a company when you're, you know, do when you're investing in yourself. And so, yeah, I mean, for me, money can go away, but the relationships, the brand intelligence too, I'm not just talking about like how you look, like you can tell the difference between someone who's smart, knows their shit and somebody who is like faking it. And so I would say it's not just about the perception of your brand as influencer, but it's also, is this person intelligent that shares knowledge with people um, it just, it will help you absolutely start instead of starting from ground zero, you're starting from level three or level four with your next company instead of ground zero. So yeah, I mean, I completely agree. And that's why, like I, I told somebody the other day that I moving forward will always invest a minimum of $5,000 a month in my personal brand. And it's, it could be through, you know, going to an event, speaking at it or taking people out for dinner. There could be towards like thought with people creating content for me. Um, it could be um, a variety of things, but all I know is that that investment of 60 grand a year, it's a lot. And I'm, I'm still cheap, even though we, I've had an exit and, I, and we're up to some cool things, every dollar still matters to me. And, um, but from a standpoint, I've always, always got my money back in multiples um, when I have invested in my brand in that way. And so, um, yeah, I mean, that's, I'll continue to do that until the day that I retire, which will probably be the day I die. <laughs> what are what are some of those those five thousand dollars a month going to? So it depends. Like right now, it's a lot of that investment is going towards creating you know a lot of content, posting in different places that would reach you know calendar users or people that you know could create opportunity there. So you've seen in the last two to three months, I've been like I've probably contributed to over ten or fifteen different pubs, including my you know columns that I have. I'm doing, I'm publishing a lot on LinkedIn, which is doing really well. Like, uh, it's a, right now because we're focused on, um, you know, a content strategy for calendar. Um, we're focused on that. So all of that money will be spent on creating content, getting it distributed, amplifying that content. Um, and so that's very, very heavily with, um, I guess, uh, heavily, um, or invested for the, um, basic content creation, uh, distribution. So it's all kind of thought leadership content. Um, if it was like six or eight months ago before we were pushing out calendar as much, I would have probably been investing in other things. Um, you know, that stuff in addition, but, uh, a lot of it could be, um, a lot of the in-person stuff I was doing cause I had a little more time. So I was investing in going to an uh, event with a lot similar like minded or not in that similar minded people, but people that were entrepreneurs that have done well. And so, uh, you know, doing some sort of an event with them. So it just varies on what part I am in my life and what's most valuable. But right now it's for sure. Uh, helping with the content strategy for calendar what are what are some of those events that you you went to john that you recommend oh some of my favorite ones like i mean i like it. i mean i was fortunate to get the ey um entrepreneur of the year in the midwest a few years ago so ey growth summit is great uh web summit collision is great um i like jason gennard's event mastermind talks he does a good job there even though i don't necessarily love the term mastermind he does an excellent job um, uh, CMO club summit. Enjoy that one. 
Um, I really, if you just look up um, John Hall conferences, I do the, a lot of the top conference lists um, and just check that out because those are ones I've attended and enjoyed in the past. And you'll see ones like marketing, ones e-commerce, ones leadership, ones technology. So hopefully the listeners can get value there. So practicing what I preach and, you know, getting the content out there that I think is valuable. <laughs> Have you ever thought about holding a conference yourself? No, not really. I mean, it's, it's no. uh, come across the, um, I don't know, like at some point, maybe, um, but in reality, like I speak a ton and I travel a lot and, um, I, I mean, I guess at some point we could do it, but I'm always at others and tapping into others audiences. And honestly, I just don't want to bite off more than I can chew. Like, I mean, maybe if a company like in the future when we're, you know, doing calendar, if a company's going to help us put it on, but um, yeah, it's just as much as I like them and I think they're valuable for different, you know, like HubSpot, it has inbound and it's extremely valuable. So Salesforce, um, I think that you wait until the right moment until you jump, you know, on, on that investment. But I, I think in the future we could, but right now it hasn't been. Tell us a, a little bit about your book, John. Um, called Top of Mind. So it's about, um, a, uh, it's about a, uh, kind of the natural way we can engage others. And so we're on their mind at the right moment, the right time. So I, I truly believe that when you're talking to someone, um, they want to help you. Like I, I, I try and think of the best of people. Like 